Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 116 of Therefore I Geek. I'm Tracy. I'm Becky. I'm Donnell. And it's an all-girl cast this week talking about the brand new movie Wonder Woman, DC's next entry into their cinematic canon. And overall, this has been an incredible ride, this whole thing, starting way back when uh, with news controversies and all kinds of craziness that was hitting, I, I mean, it felt like there was a new Wonder Woman headline every day for the last three or four weeks. So let's let's start really quickly. We will get into the movie because I know you guys have a lot of thoughts. I have a ton of thoughts. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about some of those controversies. The number one being, of course, the all-women screenings at the Alamo Cinema down in Texas, I believe, which caused quite a stir. So what do you think, Becky? <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about this, and Andrew and I got into a... Uh, a big discussion about it, but I just, if it had been an all woman screening of you've got mail or sense and sensibility or something like that, I feel like there wouldn't have been a backlash. And I feel like part of it is that it's an action movie and the men who are complaining because it's not everybody, but those who are complaining feel like this is their genre and we're kind of coming out and it's just a couple of screenings it's not like they can't see the movie at all yeah I just feel like it got blown out of proportion and of course on social media and everything things are made to seem like they are way bigger than they are like two or three guys on twitter complain and then all of a sudden there's a news story about it and, and then everyone else on Twitter is talking about right. it immediately. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, and the other thing I think, too, is that I, I felt as though a lot of guys that normally feel intimidated or attacked by feminist ideas and stories and, and hype and hoopla felt as though this whole movie was becoming sort of a feminist thing. And so this was just one more thing on top of that as well. well I, do I agree that they had a point? Not really. I mean, if it was a male only, would it have, I mean, it would have probably gotten a lot of backlash from females, but would it have gotten a lot of backlash from males? No, I think they would have been fine with that. <laughs> right. And, and and my thought is, you know, yeah, they segregated the movie. So what? They sold out. My thought is, well, you know what? If men want to do their, their own screening, then women can't complain about it. Equal yeah. rights for everyone. Do what yep. you want. Well, and that's... <laughs> well, and it's a it's a private theater too. This wasn't Regal or AMC saying, okay, we're gonna, you know, for the first day, we're not allowing any men into the theater. No, it was a few showings from Alamo, which is yeah. known to be a small indie theater. I also think yeah. Wonder Woman is the iconic female superhero. She may not be everybody's favorite female superhero, but you know. We, we call women Wonder Women if they they can do it all. The term Wonder Woman has just become synonymous with female strength and everything. And, you know, if men want to have an all-men screening of something that is related directly to being male, okay, great. But part, not the entire movie, but part of Wonder Woman's story is being female, and especially in as we get into the movie in World War One era, you know, they were talking about suffrage very briefly in there. And th this is something that give it to us. Just let us have a couple of screenings <laughs> <laughs> and shut up because I, you get honestly, everything else. <laughs> honestly, I don't think it's a matter. It's like, look, it's a company. They did it. It sold tickets. Yeah. But moving on from that, another controversy that happened was a marketing one that apparently fans hated, which was associated with a, with a health bar called Think Thin, where people got mad that Wonder Woman's associated with getting fit and healthy, and they kind of, you know, just. I mean, I know I there's know this... anyone. I didn't know if anyone else noticed this, but I feel like the first thirty minutes was about her getting fit and athletic. <laughs> just say, just saying, just saying. After that, I'm like, I got to, I got to work on my kickboxing more. I got to go right? running more. I want to look <laughs> like that. So you know. I'm sorry. If you want to look like Wonder Woman, you have to go work out. You have to eat right. You're not going to get there by sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. Yeah. I I have two more months to let this belly be uh, socially acceptable. And then I got to get into shape because 
Let me tell you, being this large is not fun. But I did notice, I don't know if you guys had this, because I'm not familiar with the, the, the diet bar, the nutrition bar controversy, but right before my movie, there was a commercial trailer. I don't, they, they, they're doing like commercials in front of the movies in addition to trailers now. Mm. But for some game that Gal Gadot, like a, a game on your phone, like League of Angels or something like that. I, and yes, yeah. yes, I saw it. Yeah, and, about. <laughs> and so in it, she's like fighting a monster. And then all of a sudden she summons her like video game character. And that video game character had the teeniest, tiniest waist. So she had her character standing next to her. And I was like, her character makes Gal Gadot look huge. Heavy. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I was a little peeved at that because she's gorgeous and <laughs> no and it's true i'm i'm in the same boat i actually three days ago june 1st started this whole 30 diet because wedding that. coming up dresses <laughs> yeah. things i'm and actually it's gonna work me. on that too <laughs> yeah it's, and it's actually horrible um no alcohol no sugar no fr- not no grains no legumes i feel like i'm missing something anyway it's it's basically kind of a keto style mm-hmm. yeah well, Dude, no, because you can't have the fats, <laughs> yeah. you can't have the cheese. You can and... have fats, you can't have che- any dairy, though. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. It's kind of a big pain in the butt. But, you know, hey, it's a jump start, right? So <laughs> yes. you are absolutely right, Donnell. Absolutely right that you, if you want to look like Wonder Woman, then you have to get fit. Do I think that it's a little bit of a stretch to use the most beautiful women in the world <laughs> to sell a diet? I am never... I mean, look at me. I am not even shaped like Gal Gadot. Even should I, you know, shrink the width, I will never look like her. I'm not that tall. I carry my weight in my hips. I, no, I guess my... I see both. I just don't think it should have been a controversy. That just is too strong of a word. My, my goal is to look like a UFC fighter. I think that's much more attainable <laughs> for me. <laughs> I do not have the boobs. I'm sorry, people. You can't see this, but I am I am small boobed girl. It's... it's... <laughs> Body you can have some of mine. It's fine. I was I was just oh, gonna say it's Joseph would having love large that. ones. Not all it's cracked up to. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from there, um, another controversy has to do with the director. She apparently was going to direct Thor too, but Marvel decided to drop her because, from what I could tell from the Hollywood Reporter, it was because she wasn't working fast enough, and apparently that's also one of the reasons probably among several that Natalie Portman wanted to get out of doing the Thor movies too. Interesting. Yeah. From what I understand, the only other acclaimed movie that Patty Jenkins has done was Monster, which was, I believe, the one with Charlize Theron back in, what was it, 2008? Might have been even earlier than that. 2003. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to get into this a little bit when we hit the our, our topic of positives about this movie. But overall, I hats off to Patty Jenkins. She did a knockout job. If she had been directing Thor 2, maybe it would have been less boring. Just saying. Yeah, and she was supposed <laughs> to be the first female to direct a Marvel movie. So that, you know. So instead, she's the, the first feminist female to direct a upset. DC movie. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you can't do one, you got to do the other one. It's right. the big two. I, I swear DC... when they bring... When the world actually ends, we're going to discover that there are only two corporations in the entire world. Pepsi and Coke, Procter and Gamble, and Johnson and Johnson. I mean, there's always two big ones, right? So I, I think when the world ends, we're gonna discover that there were only ever two people. Yeah, and DC act. saw an opportunity and they're like, Marvel, you're we'll not grab her. Yeah, yeah, we'll take, we'll take her. her. Absolutely. Um, yep. so controversies aside, <laughs> it didn't seem to hurt the box office too much. I don't know if you guys have been looking. So I'm on Box Office Mojo. And Box Office Mojo tells me that Wonder Woman made $176 million, just just a hair over, this weekend, just for three, well, the second, third, and fourth. And of course, I believe the first is also in there because it's a Thursday. And there's usually an opening on Thursday. But Variety is telling me that worldwide, it actually had a global opening of 223 million, which puts it in the top five. So I pulled up Box Office Mojo's all-time top openings. So the top five, uh, Beauty and the Beast was just under, that that was number six. Captain America, Civil War, 179 million. 
Avengers Age of Ultron, 191 million. Marvel's The Avengers, the one directed by Joss Whedon, was 207 million, or actually 207.5 million or so. Jurassic World was 208.8 million. And Star Wars The Force Awakens was 247.96 million. So if Variety is correct and we're taking in worldwide, then this is the second highest grossing opening weekend of all time, which is incredible. And I'm super happy about because it was truly a great movie. And it's blowing away the other, the top three movies. It's Wonder Woman's at over a hundred million. Captain Underpants overtook Pirates of the Caribbean, which should tell you something Uh. about Pirates of the Caribbean. But Captain Underpants is is at second place with 23 million. So hundred million second place is at 23 million. Wonder Woman just blew everything out of the water this weekend. I'm telling you what, I am really considering as soon as we're done with this, walking down to the theater and watching it again. So that'll just tell you. I'm (laughs) super sure. We're friends with Pat Loika, who also used to do uh, the Loika Mania podcast. And I know he's been at least eight times at this point. He always goes a bunch of times, has a bunch of people that he he has different groups that come in and he watches with them. So I know he's watched this a bunch of, of times as well. I'm going to make it the new Titanic because it's not going to happen. They don't keep movies in the theater that long, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I will tell you, as soon as I got home, I pre-ordered the movie, though, on Amazon. I was, oh, And by yeah. the way, if you don't know, if you pre-order a movie on Amazon and the price fluctuates at all, they will give you the lowest price whenever they ship it to you, not wow. the price it currently is. So I always do – well, I, I shouldn't say I always do that. I very, very rarely buy movies on physical disc anymore because, you know, Netflix, streaming, whatever, Amazon. But this was definitely one I had to have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess uh, that leads from. right into what the positives are. <laughs> yeah. What are, what are your <laughs> overviews? So, Donna, let's let's ask you, what did you what would, when you walked out of the theater? What was your overall impression? So my overall impression, I was like, OK, let's let's go see the Wonder Woman movie and see how it is. Let's let's watch a woman. I was kind of more excited for the fight scenes because I've. I've started doing this nine round kickboxing thing. It's a 30 minute workout, but, but you know, I got, I get to punch a bag. I get to learn about kicks. So I was like, I'm, I'm curious to see about the fighting. I want to see the fighting. And, and I will have to say my favorite fight scenes were the one where the women were training. Um, the beginning of the movie I thought was great. It was gorgeous. Something about that pulled me in. The second half of the movie was, was okay for me. Um, I think, and the fight scene where she just, you know, goes across no man's land and she's just putting her cuffs up and then goes. That was fun. And, and honestly, it was really to me, it was a it was a fun movie to watch. Was it the best ever? No, but it was fun. You go to that movie for fun. You go watch a woman look gorgeous and take down bad guys. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what about you, Becky? Yeah, I I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought the fight scenes were just really cool. I didn't feel like anybody was pulling their punches. Just, yeah, overall, it was a great movie. The best thing DC has done in a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this felt closer to what Marvel has been doing. That's what I, that's what I wanted. But, but with a distinct DC style. Um, yes, it, it was not so. a Marvel movie, but I think they I feel like they learned some things from Marvel. And maybe that's because Patty Jenkins had originally worked with Marvel before being let go. Yeah. But yeah. M- maybe that influence helped. It was as fun and exciting as a Marvel movie, but felt like its own thing, felt like a DC movie yeah. in a good way. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I left well, the theater walking on air. So the first thing that you should know is I've, I've complained on this podcast several times about the theater I usually go to, which is down <laughs> in Georgetown. It's terrible. And I just, when I was ready to buy my tickets, I thought, I can't, I can't go see this movie in this horrible theater. I just can't, I can't do it anymore. So I discovered another theater that had not really popped. So I usually go to Fandango. <laughs> and I scrolled down and I all of a sudden saw this other AMC theater that I had never really seen before pop up on the list of theaters that were a possibility. So I said, well, it's only, I think it was 1.8 miles away. I could walk there. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure, I'll go there. It turns out that this is a 
tiny neighborhood single theater cinema. Oh. So when you walk in, your ticket stub says theater one, but there's only one and it has a balcony. <laughs> nice. It, it felt like the theaters of my childhood. Yeah. It was amazing. So <laughs> the first thing is we walk in, I was with Kurt and we walked into the theater and I went, what is this? I didn't know these theaters still existed. So I got very <laughs> excited. And then we went up to the balcony because, hey, if there is a balcony, I'm going to sit in it. And I was completely blown away throughout the whole movie. I walked out of the movie walking on air. I was so excited. I was like, this is exactly what the perfect movie with a female superhero lead should be. This is everything. This is everything. This is everything. And then as I processed it in my mind, I came up with a few things where I was like, ah, oh, this should be changed. Perhaps I wouldn't have made that decision. But overall, I, I'm, I mean, I came home and bought it immediately. I guess that should speak for itself. <laughs> yeah. I loved this movie. I loved it. I also, number one, number one takeaway was that they finally got away from that gritty, dark, ugly feel. Yes, World War One sucked. It sucked so hard. I was bawling yeah. when I was seeing, you know, yeah. scenes of war, the images. Donnell, I know you've been listening to Dan Carlin's podcast on it. I know I've done lots of reading about World War One. Becky, I know mm -hmm. that you and Andrew are big buffs, uh, history, big buffs, big history buffs. <laughs> and World War One and Two are, are kind of a specialty. And so I knew it felt very realistic. But the early moments of her on the island, it was so bright and it was so beautiful and it wasn't gray. And yes. It wasn't cold coloring, you know, the, the cold, cool um, blues and grays and, and pale tones. It was it was bright and it was beautiful and it made perfect sense. I think what, what you were saying about it being realistic in the other ones, you've got Gotham and you've got Metropolis and those seem unnecessarily dark this was the appropriate amount of darkness this was realistic like i i felt like we were in world war one era and and it was there was darkness for a reason you have a war going on whereas in the yes. other ones it's like oh it's just dark to make you know that there's a bad guy somewhere doing something bad absolutely and I felt as though it was the appropriate grittiness. This is not Dunkirk, right? So that movie's coming out later. You're going to see some really awful atrocities. Saving Private Ryan, which granted World War II, not World War I, still gritty, dark, ugly, because the entire movie is about the war. The war is the subject matter. This is a superhero movie set in World War I. So I felt as though... It was dark, it was appropriately gritty, but it was also triumphant, which you don't always get in war movies. And I was kind of afraid that the director was going to take the opportunity to make a war movie wrapped in a superhero movie, and it wasn't. Yeah. It was still a superhero movie, which was amazing, which seems to trans transition us into amazing positives about this movie. So, Becky, what, what was the number one most positive thing and anything else you can think of that was amazing? Gal Gadot hands down, was the number one most positive thing in this movie. And this may seem, I don't know, a little a little out there, but I felt like she gave an Oscar-worthy performance. And I do not say that about actors, about people, because I always think there's probably somebody who could do it better somewhere. I'm just a snob like that. But I don't think anybody could do that role better. She was just amazing. And just the subtleties in her face, like when she first walks out into no man's land and she starts bouncing the bullets off of her wrist and she's got this look in her eyes, like, like innocence, but also I'm so excited to finally be doing what I should be doing. But then later on, um, when Steve, dies in the plane and and she all of a sudden, she's bouncing bullets off of her wrists in the same way but her face is just completely different she's showing such a completely different emotion and some of granted the the anger and being upset when your boyfriend dies that's that's an easier emotion to act but some of the other emotions that she had to portray like the innocence and the naivete 
but also the badassery at the same time. That's really difficult to capture. And she did such a great job. She was amazing. I just, I, girl crush. That's absolutely. (laughs) That specifically your, your conversation about naivete and the depiction of it is, is on my list as well, because I was that girl. I was, you know, I never owned a horse, but I was the horse girl. I spent my entire childhood dreaming about being the badass that could ride like that, that could fight like that, that could slide side to side and fire off arrows. And I used to write stories. I mean, they were terrible. Never read them, please. <laughs> I think I burned them, actually, just to be sure. Aww. But then in, in a very secluded childhood, knowing that I was destined for something better, the transition so frequently you see these... and. Uh, Gamora is a good example. She doesn't, in, this is in Guardians of the Galaxy, she doesn't understand music and she doesn't understand dancing. And so as soon as it's introduced to her, she's aggressively pushing it away. No, why would I ever do that? That sounds stupid. I don't want that. But someone who is naive but understands that they are and wants to learn about the world is not going to take it that way. We could have had, in the moment where they're sitting next to the well in the middle of this village that they've just rescued, She's handed a beer. For a, for a split second, I thought, please don't make this about the beer. Please don't. And sure enough, she took a sip. You saw her face subtly change. She does not like it. Nobody does on the first try. And she sets it to the side. We don't talk about, ew, what's this? Why is this fizzy? We don't have a whole conversation about that because she recognizes this is something some, somebody drinks. I don't like it. And it just shifts. And then we've moved on and the story continues. And it's real. It's so real. It's so real. It's the most accurate depiction of someone raised in seclusion that wants to become a part of the world that I've ever seen. And it's a superhero movie that it took to, to bring that to life. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, it's crazy. One thing, one thing, cause I've done some research cause I found kind of the, the history of Wonder Woman fascinating. There's one thing in watching after doing some research is that there's a lot of things that they kept that was very much almost like homage to the comic book. Like, Um, There's a scene where she's all about love. Love is what wins. That was actually the creator. That was one of his focuses is that, you know, I don't want a superhero to be all about power. It needs to be about love. So the fact that they included that, I think they were trying to be trying to honor that. And then even her back history of how she was created, which I thought was kind of fascinating. It's evolved over the years. And I think it was kind of a very clever way for them to be like her mother tells her, you know, I made you from clay. That's how I made you. You know, of course, we all know that's not how babies are made. You know, Becky can definitely attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that was her original story. Her original backstory was that she was made from clay and Aphrodite breathed a breath of life and she became one. And then, yes, you're absolutely right that she evolved. I'm slightly bummed they didn't have the invisible jet. But you know what? I think it would have not made sense for the story if they included yeah. her invisible jet. Um, having, the, you know, the lasso of truth that she got to use. And then now I feel really silly because I forgot her bracelets. I can't remember what the, they're called. But having those, I mean, even the costume was great. The sword. I definitely just loved the beginning of that movie. Just that world that they created visually was just wonderful. And then that scene where the women are training. Okay, those jumping around kicks, you you can't do those. Right. But you know what? They're so gorgeous to look at. They looked amazing. (laughs) Jumping off the horse. And, you know, some of the fight scenes, I was like shooting soldiers with arrows. They would have been killed. But you know what? I was enjoying enough. I'm like, I can... can dispel my sense of disbelief for a little but bit but it, al- it has it also had some background in real history i mean in world mm-hmm. war one there were many battalions that were fielded on horseback in fact there's an entire poem about oh and of course i've blanked completely on the name of the poem while you're looking for that i do kind of want to point out that some of the ca- uh, the supporting cast i really loved and uh i'm gonna mess up their names because they're greek and i'm horrible with names <laughs> and a poe and a pody and Antiope. I loved those two characters, and I was really sad when her aunt died. I was like, Yeah, I really wanted her to stay around, but it was like her death. I, I don't know, like, I was okay with well, her dying, even though I really wanted to keep her around. And, and just those two women, just you know, one's a strong warrior, the other's this like they were just they were just beautiful. Beautiful women to look at, and they just acted wonderfully. And then yes. also Chris Pine. 
he's an actor, like, you know, that I do like. In fact, I think he can do serious role. There's one, I want to make sure I say this name right. There's a movie that he did, I think it was Carriers. Not a big, well-known movie. It was done in 2009. I think it was like a, maybe if it was in theaters, it was in theaters for a week or it was a direct-to-DVD movie. And it's a movie about a massive disease spreading out. And he plays a very serious, dark role in that movie. And he's fantastic. Yeah, he's... But he can also be hilarious at the same time. He's great. I loved when he was like, no, I'm above average. And I'm like, yes, you are, Chris Pine. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. After, after that initial, as he's explaining the, the watch, he said he said something. I cannot remember the exact line. And Kurt leaned over to me and goes, are we still talking about the watch or have we gone back to? <laughs> um, but we're talking about the Amazons and how they were depicted on the island. One of the things I have to point out is the sweet and understated depiction of lesbian relationships. <laughs> just really quickly talk about how natural and easy it was. It was not designed to stir up controversy. I do not need to see Antiope kissing her lover to know why that woman was wailing at right. her death. It's right. an obvious response, but it doesn't need to be political. And oh, it was so refreshing. I was yes. so excited. And there that's was... another homage to the original material. There was uh, definitely an underlining theme of lesbianism in there. Not flat out saying it, but it was there. But the Am- Amazons were sapphic in the original Greek story, so it totally makes sense for them to at least be bisexual. But it wasn't in your face, forced on you, or anything like that. We're not going to have a lesbian moment and right. the headlines thereof for this movie, which was great. Because Which you don't um, need. If, if we had, lines. if we had, there would have been the one, the controversy, and then two, it would have been more for the men to just sit there and ogle, and mm-hmm. you know that would hey, have just made fair. the day. Let's be fair, lesbians would have yes. googled too. So yes. you know, women yes. and men, would both men and women would just be you. would just be ogling that if, if a situation like that had come up, and it would have lessened the impact of the movie and and any undertones. And it doesn't feel as though it were a political move for any kind of unearned goodwill. Well, Instead, it just was a moment. And and I thought, I, I saw it, I acknowledged it, I moved on, and I was just, I was so happy to see it. But at the same time, Wonder Woman, Diana's relationship with the males in the story was also perfect, perfect, hit the nail on the head. This again, I come back to the idea that this is the movie that every movie with a leading woman should be. She was sometimes she was right, sometimes the guy was right. She led when she had the expertise to lead, but her insertions into places where she wasn't supposed to be was not always portrayed as the correct move. At the same time, if she knew what she was going to do or if she knew what she was supposed to do, she just went and did it. I yeah. mean, if she felt like she had to shout down and tell the the men in the council that they were wrong to sacrifice the men on the battlefield so callously she did so but as soon as they got out of the room and he and steve was able to pull her to the side he's like why did you do that don't undermine me we're totally going to continue to do it anyway i lied (laughs) it was was this and she just sort of has this very innocent moment of oh oh okay right didn't realize that was happening let's move forward and Mm -hmm. This also, for me, helped introduce doubt in her assertions of the existence of Ares, which allowed the climax of the story to be so powerful. Because I was sitting there going, well, maybe she is wrong. Maybe he is right. I don't, I don't know. where We could go one of two directions with this movie. I'm not sure which we're going to do, which was awesome. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was pretty sure that Ares was going to be real, was going to show up. I knew that it wasn't going to be Ludendorff uh, or however you say his name. I was not expecting it to be who it was. <laughs> I was expecting it to be the woman, Dr. Poison. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was fully and I and I was like, yes, we're going to have a female bad guy who's nobody's expecting because they're expecting this male. But I was not, even though I was expecting her to end up being Ares, 
I was not disappointed with who it ended up being. Yes, me either. And I, a part of me kept saying it should be Dr. Poison, but then another part of me was saying, do we need a female hero and a female villain in the right. same movie immediately? Like, okay, it. this is going to transition, unless you have any further positives, this is going to transition me to <laughs> negatives because I find Ares to be the weakest link in this movie. I will say one positive thing about that. Yes. I mean, I, I'm kind of going with you there. Is that the what I liked is that, you know, her idea is that the war will end if we destroy Ares. And then, you know, what I liked was, was you know, Steve's speech when he kind of goes, no, you, 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 you killed this guy. This does not end the war. And I think that's something we, as people, we tend to be like, this is the bad guy. We take them down. I'm going to use Trump as an example. I'm not supporting Trump. I'm not saying he's a great president, but there's this idea that if we destroy Trump, all of our evils are, are destroyed. And that's that's not true. That's not... So I liked that moment in there because I thought that was a very, like, look, it's complicated. It's mm-hmm. it's not one thing. There's right. more to this. And so I, I that's my Which, little, like, I comment. Don't, I don't think that gets portrayed in superhero movies at all. You know, it's you take down the leader and then everything else all the bad guys fall down until you get a new one in the next movie. But it was complex and she couldn't save everybody as they're going. You know, she's like, I have to help these people and I have to help these people and I have to help these people. And Steve's like, no, we have to look at the big picture. If you want to save thousands of people, you have to let that one guy whose leg got chopped off die. You just have to go. And that's that realism that we miss in superhero movies so much is that you can't save everybody. Um, and he was allowed to be right, even yes. though she disagreed with him, even though it turned out that once she did kill Ares, things did settle down at least a little bit, at least for now. We mm-hmm. also understood that he was right. Yeah. So yeah. both people could be right. Yes. That's totally okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Complexity. Ares, however, was to me the weakest link in this whole movie because I don't understand why a Greek god looks like a middle-aged World War One era British dude with a mustache. I just kept thinking Harry Potter. It's the professor from yeah. Harry Potter. Lupin. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the big reveal, as soon as he, he showed up, I was like, okay, yes. It makes sense that it would be that guy. But then when we do flashbacks to him falling from Olympus... Why was it still that guy? Why, right. I expected him to transition into a traditional Greek-looking dude, and I, he just didn't. I was expecting it was, that, too. <laughs> or even was... just leave him shrouded in cloud and mystery like Hippolyta's book. Just That's yeah. totally fine, too. I mean, it, you can have like the horns and then sort of a cloudy face. We saw that the Eye of Sauron is one of the worst bad guys in the history of cinema, and it's an eye on yeah. a tower. So well, it's I thought totally it was possible. so cliche. You make the man a piece, the bad guy, and then it's Dark Vader, come to my side, come, come. And then she pulls the cliche of, I was like, this just feels so cliched. Okay, fine. Just, yeah, that was he's such a, I, I think it should have been a younger guy. Because, I mean, technically they're siblings. So her calling. Even if or, he had transitioned right. into a younger guy when he yeah. revealed himself. If he transformed. That was really what I was hoping for. Yeah. Yes. But f- for me, he was not the weakest link. For me, the weakest link was um, was the woman who played uh, Dr. Poison, Elena Anaya. I just, I thought her portrayal was so two-dimensional. And I, I just really did not like that performance at all. And I don't think it had much to do with the character. I really liked I I liked the character, especially like female chemist during World War One time. I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. Um, I don't care that you're the bad guy, you know. <laughs> but I just thought acting wise, it was a really weak performance. At one point when they throw the gas can into the into the German high command, whatever. Yes. And then he throws the gas mask in and she's like, that's not going to do anything. He goes, they don't know that. And then they had the cheesiest laugh. Yeah. It's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was just, that was awful. It was, and I just was not impressed with her at all. Not impressed with the performance. Liked the character, did not like the performance. Yeah, she did. I mean, I looked into her a little bit. She does not have a lot of 
movies under her belt. It, it seemed like they got a lot of people for this movie, not necessarily it was totally bad, who don't have a lot of big names attached to them. But another thing that was a little bit of a downfall for me was just the portrayal of World War One. I. I mean, they did an alright job, and I understand they had to keep it PG-13, but it's like, I felt like World War One was was awful and it seemed like they were going so light on this war it's just like but i see that as a positive i i I see that as as very much a positive because i think again that it's very easy to get side i mean world war one and world war two are two of the biggest dreams for any director to write a movie i mean they're epic and they're real life we don't get too many real life lord of the rings we don't. There's rarely a single bad guy to, to defeat, as Becky was pointing out. That's not real life. So to be able to write about this one epic that everyone knows about that really happened is incredible. But this was not a war movie. And I think that it would be very easy for the director to slip into making it a war movie instead of a superhero movie. So while I absolutely see your point, I, I would disagree and say that I think of that as actually a positive. And that's fine. I mean, I get your point, too. It just, I, I guess that when I was watching the movie, I just had to, that was a point where I had to be like, okay, I'm going to have to dispel my belief. It just, it kind of, I guess for a little bit, it took me out of the moment knowing that, okay, they're not really portraying it very accurately. But, I mean, I guess this is part, the movie was so much fun, I was like, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. That's kind of where it was at. I was like, I will allow it. But I, I will say the cliches towards the end with that big fight scene, it was just, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I <laughs> see that. Do that. Your issues with the World War One scenes were my issues with the Greek mythology. So <laughs> here we go. This is, this is where okay. it really starts to lose me. First of all, Diana is not a Greek god, S. She is Roman. And she <laughs> was at one point equated with the Greek goddess Artemis, but she actually had her own unique start in Roman lore. So she was created, and then at some point they were like, isn't this kind of close to Artemis? Okay, we'll make them one single goddess. So Zeus, Ares, and the Amazons are all Greek myths. However, Diana's a Roman goddess, and her parentage, as portrayed in this movie, would not have made her a goddess, on par with Ares. Ares is a god because his father was Zeus and his mother was Hera, both gods. She, yeah. Her mother was a mortal. She would only have ever been a titan. There is no way she could have gone up against Ares in one. And I realize it's comics and I realize that everything <laughs> changes and they get to write their own canon. But that was that was my nitpicky. And honestly, guys, to my audience, to you two, when a movie is so good that you have to compare it, its origin story to Greek mythology origin stories and see the tiny little details that are different, it's pretty nitpicky, I realize. However, I would say that that was one thing that sort of popped up in my head. And and that's, you know, I think because the movie was trying to keep to the original material, or at least honor it, they had to go with that. So, like, some writer along the way missed up his Greek and Roman mythology. <laughs> totally I mean, true. this happens Probably in the beginning. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of, so, Donnell, you've been talking about the Wonder Woman history a little bit this morning uh, before we started recording. So, tell me a little bit about the guy that created this and, and what he did to Wonder Woman and why she is who she is today. So, if... Uh, in my research, you know, I, I will say, going into the movie, I knew nothing about Wonder Woman. Then afterwards, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do this podcast. I feel like I really need to do some research. And if anyone ever claims that Wonder Woman is not inspired by feminism or suffrages, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. <laughs> she is very much, very much associated with the suffragette movement and everything. Um, so the creator, and if I mess up his name, I apologize, but it's William... Malton Marston, and he, let's see, make sure I get this all right. Uh, he's a very interesting fellow, but um, how it came about uh, was that the creator of DC, I'm not sure if he was the creator or what, but his name was Gaines, and um, he was looking for somebody to help him, because at the time he was being persecuted, because people were like, comics are too violent. They have all this violence in there. And there was this uh, magazine called Family Circle where uh, Olive Burns wrote an article and interviewed William or Marston. 
in it. And Marston said comic books are actually good for kids. And so this guy's like, I'm going to, I'm going to call you up. So basically William Marston talked to Gaines. And I think this is super, super funny. And I'll explain some of his comments, but basically he told him, I want to make sure I get my quote here. Right. Um, he said, the problem with comic books is they're full of blood curdling masculinity. So if anyone knows anything about feminists, that just kind of like, those are like trigger words right there. <laughs> and he basically said he put forth the idea of a female superhero and he said her powers could all be about love and truth and beauty. And you could also sell your comic books better to girls. Now, real quick before I go on, most of my source comes from a fresh air interview that Terry Gross did with Jill Lepore, who wrote The Secret History of Wonder Woman. It's a great interview. If you just look up on NPR, they have it so you can listen to it. It's about 45 minutes. So, you know, from there, Gaines was like, okay, let's try this. But a little back history about Williams uh, Marston is he was a very interesting guy. He actually was part of the, at Harvard, he was part of the... Uh, Harvard's Men League for Women's Suffrages. And according to, to my source, he, he, they, that group tried to get um, a suffragist movement uh, spokesperson, Emily Panskin or Panhurst, onto the, onto the Harvard University to speak, but she was banned. Which, you know, today we have a lot of speakers who are banned. And, you know, to be honest, to, to Harvard's credit, probably the reason they wanted to ban her is that her feminist or her suffragist movement was, did a lot of violent things. They actually were okay with breaking windows. They would chain themselves up against buildings and just, or they would march into streets with chains on them and keep chains in mind. This is really important. Um, but Harvard banned, said, nope, we're not going to let her be on there, which, you know, I'm a free speech person. I'm like, you should have let her be on there. <laughs> so what? So what? She's part of that. She should have been heard. Anyway, so the reason I bring that up is because I think that very much uh, Marston was very much a feminist. He very much or he was a big supporter of the suffragist movement. Uh, he married his uh, sweetheart, which was Elizabeth Holloway. Both of them graduated from college. He graduated from Harvard. I don't remember what, I didn't write down what uni what university, but she was, you know, some of the first women to graduate from college. So, and mind you, this is like 1915 he married her. And she so, was an attorney as well, I believe. She finished yeah, she law school. A, in fact, Marston always seemed to bounce around from teaching job to teaching job to different jobs he, he he could not keep a job so very much she supported him and actually supported his mistress olive burns who was the niece of margaret sanger who we all know could, who is uh basically i guess best way to put it is the mother of planned parenthood and the birth control and bringing it and making it legal here in the states when marston created wonder woman he he had it released in 1941 and a lot of her storylines are based off of suffrages. Like, there, I think, was a storyline about... Um, actually, wait, let me go back and talk about uh, Olive Burns, because she was actually a college graduate, too. In fact, uh, Sanger's husband paid for her college education. And so college Olive graduate. was also... Olive was the mistress, right? She was the live-in yes. mistress that um, was living with Elizabeth Holloway and William Marston. Yeah. I think she was posing at the time as the widow of some imaginary guy so that yes. the neighbors wouldn't talk too much. Yeah. Or the kid, they, they told this to their kids. In fact, the kids, the, the family said, oh, she's the house cleaner. She's the live-in house cleaner. I'm not going to go into what type of sexual relationship and stuff that's there because just like Lepore kind of pointed out, unless you have actual documentation of it, you're only speculating. So I'm not going to go there. Well, um, don't they, weren't there two children from one woman and two children from the other? So something happened at some point. Oh yeah. yeah. Apparently there was a bedroom and what connected the bedrooms was a bathroom. So he probably very easily went from one bedroom to the other. And Olive Byrne basically was kind of, you could say, a stay-at-home wife in that relationship. Because even when he died in 1947, Elizabeth Holloway continued to support Burns until she died. So they lived together for years and years after that. Um, 
And Olive Burns, like I said, she wrote for Family Circle and was the reason that um, Marston caught Gaines' eye in the first place. Um, so these are very accomplished women, very much part of the suffragist movement and feminism, or at least who feminists would call some of their main role models. Um, anyway, so basically Gaines decided to go with this idea. And so, um, oh, another thing is Morrison was also the creator of the lie detector. Interesting. So, <laughs> hmm, that lasso, lasso of truth. truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, October 1941, uh, they released Wonder Woman. And um, so Wonder Woman, a lot of her... You know, well, this was her first appearance, so she actually yeah. did not appear in a titular comic at first. She originally appeared in, I want to say it was All-Star Comics number eight. So this was in 1941, December of 1941 was her first appearance, but she did not appear in her own comic right away. Sorry, yeah. continue, Dunno. No, no problem. That, that was part of my research I didn't get a chance to get to, so great add-on. Um but so a lot of the storylines and a lot of the inspiration for things that Wonder Woman did in her early comic books when Morstan was um, was the writer was the writer and you know creative control of that was things like women running for president. I think there I'm not sure if it was Wonder Woman running for president, but I do know there were things like women go on strike for equal pay. Like all the storylines were like that. But what I think is kind of interesting is that the look. For Wonder Woman was based off of erotic pinup art, or known as uh, Vargas Girls, which, you know, my boyfriend Joseph, as you guys may know as Dude, has a couple of those books, and I was sharing them. Um, these are very, you can tell they're very sexualized, they're what, you know, they're what soldiers would put on their bombers, they're very, very attractive women. <laughs> In fact, I think the first, I actually got some of the stamps which show Wonder Woman throughout the ages. She had a skirt and everything. And, you know, he had a very interesting life with living with two women. So, you know. These are the things that make me wonder, though. So here's here's something. And, Becky, I know you're a feminist, so you feel free to weigh in on this, this concern. <laughs> what? So I sort of stand somewhere in the middle. So I, I love a perfectly equal society. I just don't think that we're there yet. But I also don't really appreciate man-hating which occasionally occasionally mm -hmm. comes along with it so if a man says he's a feminist and really appreciates powerful women does that make him one a feminist not a woman <laughs> if a man says that he wants the female archetype to have force strength and power i'm paraphrasing but continues on saying that as long as our feminine archetype lacks force, strength, and power, young girls will not want to be tender, submissive, peace-loving as good women are. To me, the feminist movement is all about choice. It is, it is about, you know, for centuries we have been not given a choice. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a choice to vote. We didn't have a choice to stay home or go to work or... You know, you you read the old rules for like teachers um, mm -hmm. back in the day, and as soon as you got married, you could not teach anymore, and just things like that. And so, and if you were teaching, God forbid, you have a boyfriend. So right. I'm not sure how one was ever going to lead to the other. You know, so but can a man can claim feminism if he believes that a good woman is tender, submissive, and peace loving? Specifically, I think. I think anybody who believes in feminism has to give up the idea that there is a perfect female archetype. Right now, I am about to have a baby and mm -hmm. I am a feminist who is about to leave her job and I am going to do the stay at home mom thing. But that's my choice. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then it will be my choice when I go back to work. And it is something that Andrew and I will discuss as equal partners in this relationship. But... <laughs> Um, at the same time, he's not telling me you have to stay home or you have to go to work. This is something that we have worked out on our own. And and I used to, when I was growing up, I used to think, oh, in order to be a feminist, you have to be a lawyer, be a doctor, be in corporate America. And no, I am a teacher 
who is about to stop teaching to raise a child like that to me used to be the opposite of what feminism is. But now I've come to realize, no, it's about choice and I'm making this choice for myself. So, so I think, and you have the freedom to change your mind. Yes. I mean, I, for a long time, I, I never believed I would get married ever. And now I am engaged in planning a ridiculous wedding. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's my prerogative. Exactly. And so I think anybody, male or female, needs to let go of the idea that there is a perfect male or a perfect female. And that's how we gain equality. And that's what feminism, because feminism is not about making women more powerful than men. It's just about giving us equality and and making sure that all genders are treated equally and fairly. Um, and speak, I mean, and that seems to be something that Marston was was interested in. I mean, didn't he hire a woman writer to write for him while he was sick, Donnell? Uh, well, I don't know too. I didn't get too many details, but he did actually have an, a woman who was an editor, and he had, did have a female that was writing it for him. And um, actually, the artist who who drew um, Wonder Woman, and he's actually on the DC website listed as an inker, a colorist. And, and a couple other things. Um, he actually originally, uh, he actually used to work on the Judd magazine for their um, suffragists section or their suffrage page. And he would do cartoon work. And one of the cartoon work, and this is why I wanted to, you know, emphasize the chain so much. And this is one thing I'm a little sad that they've gotten rid of with Wonder Woman is that women used to wear chains and Wonder Woman, uh, when she would get caught, if you bound her, her bracelets together or you, you know, in the comics, she was always chained up with chains or tied up with ropes. And to, to Morstan, his idea was she would break out of it. So it was never a man who broke her out of it. She broke herself out of that. And so the idea was that they were breaking these chains of, you know, suffrage of men controlling them, of men doing all these things with them. You know, of course, now it's changed so that if she puts her bracelets together, it's a thing of power. But he was really paying homage to those women and they're marching with the chains. And, you know, Harry Peters in his comics, if you see them, he he shows, um, I think, as as as, you know, uh, Lepore was saying was Amazonian like women wearing chains and breaking them. So. So, I mean, I mean, I think, to be honest, Marston was very much supportive of females, and he was trying to give this show that you don't need to be violent. To him, he just didn't like violence. That was the big thing. It's like Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman not to be violent and just do her own thing. But do you as, think that what do you think then of the portrayal of violence in this movie? Um, do you think that this was in keeping with what Marston would have wanted? Would he have liked this movie? Um. I think he would have been fine with that. I mean, because if you look at the end of it, she kind of goes into her, it's all about love. <laughs> We're going to defeat human. See, love is the more. So that's why, like, in the movie, like, now that I see, okay, that's why they went cheesy. It's because that's very much a homage to the guy. Because, I mean, um, I-, I feel kind of bummed, but there was a quote I saw on Wikipedia, and I can't find it now, where he was, you know, his wife, Holloway, was quoted as saying, you know, I want to create a, a Superman-like character who's powerful, but but truth and love is their their main source of power. And, and Holloway said, "Well, you better make her a woman." <laughs> <laughs> I have no source to back out where there's true. I just thought that was really clever. Um, but but to be honest, I mean, you have Wonder Woman portrayed powerfully and doing it for love and protecting people, um, though you know. One thing was pointed out to me, she's never called Wonder Woman in the movie, which. Yep. <laughs> that is a very good point. Yes. Um, it, but, you know, I, I think for his time, it kind of shows that because if you think about it, this was done in the 1940s. Like, apparently, you know, there were people who were thinking about women's issues and trying to represent them as to whether, you know, Marston was this this great guy. He had some odd ideas i mean i think he i think he was uh his his source material for writing wonder woman was margaret sanger's book woman and the new race which you know is very much a book that supports eugenics yeah well 
you, you I know, think let's... at this point we're going, you know, 70 years later, we're going to have to take the bad with the good because there's no changing it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's be honest. You know, people can do good things, but they can also do really bad things. And so we have to we have to learn not to, you know, hold them to our moral standards. And ultimately, that. isn't that the message of this whole movie? So yeah. people, you have to take the bad with the good and you have to take the good with the bad because humans yeah. are fallible creatures. So and as long as in the Justice League, they don't make her a receptionist, we'll be good. Yes. yes. That, by the way, that was not Marston's doing. That was that was the guy who created Justice League. That was his doing. He did not like Wonder Woman. Yeah, that, but... that comes through loud and clear. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. So, But apparently people voted to have her in the Justice League, so people liked her. Hmm. Can't get away from it. Think, think, think of that. So let's wrap this conversation up by just doing some final thoughts. Just if there is one thing you want people to know about this movie and, and Wonder Woman as a whole, Becky, what would you tell them? Oh, <laughs> I would say that she is, she is a strong female character, but she's just a strong character. Um, You don't, you're not bombarded. Mm, I don't know. I was going to say you're not bombarded by her, her femininity or uh, her being female, but it, it, it is, I mean, sh- it is based on the fact that she is female and then to go from an all female society where she is the princess to, uh, to, you know, world war one era London where she is not taken seriously at all. Um, <laughs> At one point, I was watching the movie, and I was like, this is like Captain America, as she's got the team of misfits, um, and they're going off and doing their own thing, and she becomes their leader, even though it's unexpected because she's female, whereas in Captain America, it was unexpected because Steve Rogers was just a performer. So there were a lot of parallels to Captain America, but... um, I just think it's a really great movie and yeah, I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. It's just a really great movie and everybody should see it. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Donnell, what about you? I think it's pretty much a fun movie. Is it going to be my favorite movie ever? No, there were some real stupid moments, but you know, it was fun and you can't ask for, I mean, it was fun. It was fun to watch a beautiful woman beat up on people. There's something great about it. I'm now a fan of <laughs> UFC, so I'm going to watch a lot of beautiful women, you know, on themselves <laughs> or each other. Um, but it's a fun movie. It, it it was fun to watch. It was fun cast of characters. And, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to Justice League to see what they do. I hope DC, um, yeah, hope DC continues as they clearly probably will with how much money this movie made. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, had a sense of destiny and a sense of pure self-worth that I have not seen in a female lead character, I think, ever. A woman who never doubted herself or what she was intended to do or what she was intended to be. And that is a beautiful thing to watch because, for me, that, that resonated so deeply with me. She is who I wanted to be. So... Yes, please go see this movie. It it's worth it. Every portrayal and we we didn't even mention the fact that the Native American speaks real Blackfoot, actually speaks his native tongue in this movie. We we barely touched on the fact that lesbian relationships were just as portrayed the way that they are, that the the women here are just who they are. The men are just who they are. I mean, even even a secretary who spent her whole life being treated in the way that women were treated in World War One saw an opportunity to be a little bit more and took it. And I mean, I I cried. I laughed. I cried. It moved me, Bob. So yes, please, <laughs> it's worth. It's definitely worth seeing. Well, ladies, what have you been into lately? Donnell, what have you been doing other than watching Wonder Woman, obviously? <laughs> um, let's see. I, I am uh, researching. Well, no, not. Well, I'm looking into seeing about building a house, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, this is no definite. This is just an idea. 
There's no way in a Southern California that me and Joseph, even with good jobs, can buy a house unless we want to fork over a million dollars in debt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But then again, we may just stay in our apartment with our two cats and be pretty content. Um, also, I'm checking out American Gods. I, I started to listen to the podcast about it, and then I was like, nope, I got, I gotta watch, I gotta, I gotta listen to this movie or listen to this audio book. There we go. And then I'm trying to think what else. Uh, watching The Office. I got back from Portland last weekend, so that was more of like a fun family trip. And yeah. Oh, and I was reading uh, my Suicide Squad book or comics nice. that I picked up a couple years ago that I swear it's only when I'm on planes <laughs> I actually take the time to read. <laughs> That's hilarious. What about you, Becky? Besides growing a small human. Besides growing a small human. You mean there's life outside of growing a small human? Um, that, that takes up a lot of my uh, my energy, I have to admit. Um, but I have been uh, watching The Handmaid's Tale after listening to the podcast and, yeah. and listening to Dude talk about how he was watching it. Um, I finally got to watch it, speaking of feminine issues. Um, that's, that's my fault it, watching it. it yeah <laughs> it's very interesting um it's very very interesting and I think it, uh, when it first came out a lot of people were saying like yes this is why we need to fight the system because if we don't fight right now then this is going to come to pass I'm like this scenario is never going to come to pass like I meant that's not me being naive it's just not going to happen but it is part of the reason we watch dystopian uh movies tv shows books and all of that is is to see what could come to pass um i was Mm -hmm. also thinking about that as i was listening to the orwell podcast too um (laughs) yes but uh yeah that's been that's been not fun but it's also eye-opening for yes, sure and entertaining it's it's also it's interesting because most uh dystopian novels or movies or what have you um are set after the society has already been well established and so this is very interesting because you get to watch the dystopian society get established it's only been around for three years um in the and series it doesn't I, I don't know if either of you have read the book. Um, I have not. I, I, I read that because I don't have Hulu, but I am going to eventually <laughs> get it because, specifically for this show. But yeah. reading the book, there's... Um, spoiler. Sorry. Yeah. There's an epilogue that indicates that that society does not last for very long either. And yeah. that it's it's kind of funny because it's written as an anthropologist giving a speech to a bunch of students and saying, we can learn so much from this on what not to do because this happened in the past and we're learning and we're not even sure that this is a, a credible source, yada, yada. So you're absolutely right that it's it, that's kind of neat because, again, 1984, Animal Farm, well, Animal Farm, not so much, but 1984 <laughs> for sure is a well-established yeah. society that has already grounded citizens kind of into their most pulverized form. Yeah. Um, I've also been watching on Hulu, uh, the awesomes, which is a, it's an animated (laughs) show and it's, it's about a team of superheroes, but they're like, they're all misfits and they're all just terrible at, uh, at being superheroes. Yeah. The reject here. They're like the reject Avengers. So I've been watching that too. Um, and that's been, as I wait for Wednesday to come and a new handmaid's tale to come out. Uh, so that's been fun that's what I do when I'm sitting on the recliner with my feet up to try to get my ankles to uh, de-swell F for for family just second season just released so if you look for something new to watch I watched the first episode of that and I could not get into it Uh, I might have to give it a second try though Uh, so (laughs) yes I've been actually doing a little bit more reading so Dude had sort of done a lot of deep research into Orwell and had created a panel. Andrew did a deep research on the Infinity Gauntlet or the Infinity Wars and did a panel on that. And I am doing some research into the Inklings, which was a group of Oxford scholars, including C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams, and some other less well-known I want to say characters, but they're not characters. They were actually people, Um, (laughs) mostly writers, lyricists, poets, um, roughly 
post-World War II that got together and would critique each other's work. And of course, the most notable for geeks is J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And in that, so I, I bought about 16 books that are various descriptions of their lives together. And I'm, I've also been going back and reading some of the less lesser read Lewis books at the moment, including Out of the Silent Planet and Paralander. And I know I'm going to get into big trouble because they're not that much lesser known. For adults, you typically end up do end up reading them. They're very brief. I do highly recommend them because they are philosophical as well as a story. Of course, Lewis was a Christian, so you get a lot of his moral. Relig- I was going to say religious philosophy, not even his moral injunctions, but there's a, a whole dissertation almost on the way that humans perceive death and how we try to put it off and and how this society on Mars specifically sees it as, as a part of life and that if we would embrace that, we would probably be happier, which isn't specifically Christian and isn't specifically moral, but it's a really interesting idea. So I do recommend those books. I'm about halfway through Paralander, and I have read these before. This is not my first foray, but that was many years ago, and I'm hoping as a much older and wiser, I hope, adult, that I'll get a little bit more out of them. So that's basically what I've been doing a lot of reading. The newest season of House of Cards just dropped, so of course I'm jumping into that, and I'm catching up on old stuff. So there's a show or a movie on Netflix that I'm going to completely forget the name of and it's about a military commander um that it, it based on a true story it's um I I want to say that it's called not wing commander that's okay I'll throw it in the show notes doesn't really matter um <laughs> but it's supposed to be based on a true story about a guy that was so not just brazen, but also <clears throat> had such a level of hubris. Hubris. Am I pronouncing that right? Hubris. Hubris. Yeah. Okay. I am. Yeah. Um, had such a level of hubris that he basically cost his team um, and the U.S. government a lot of Ooh. public goodwill. Mm. So um, that sounds very interesting. So I'll jump into that. And um, I also still have the most recent season of The Get Down, which. Was, um, the first season was amazing. I'm super excited for the second one. So that's more about what I plan to do and a little bit less <laughs> about what I have been doing. But yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyways. I got an Amazon package waiting out there for me. I'm super excited right now. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> so thank you, ladies, for joining me on the podcast. Um, once again, everybody, um, if you like what we're doing, you feel please feel free to go and subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. You can also find this pot or you can also find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find our old podcasts and blog posts at thereforeageek.com. Once again, I'm Tracy. I'm Becky. I'm Donnell. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. <laughs>